Hey, welcome back, everybody. Time for another episode of Living Hope, a weekly journey designed to provide hope, inspiration, and education for those living with pancreatic cancer. Sharing the real-life stories of those really affected by this deadly disease and how they deal with it on a daily basis. With a woman, well, she's well acquainted with the subject. Is it 20 years yet? 20 years almost and counting? Roberta almost. Luna. 20 yeah. years, April 1st. So there we're getting go. close. A couple more weeks 20, and I'll be 20 again. 20 years <laughs> you've survived with what many don't survive. What is it? 95% don't survive. Yeah, unfortunately right now it's our survival rate. is. So we've gone up to 11%, which is better than when I was first yeah. diagnosed, but Woo-hoo. not, not yeah. enough. Yeah, really. It's, but so we need to bring it up higher. So um, hopefully those things will be changing and we'll... <laughs> We'll see more survivors, which we are. Well, today, not just the hope aspect of it, but the reality aspect of it's going to come into play, right? Talking about what happens when it doesn't. Unfortunately, and it's not just, you know, this doesn't just affect pancreatic cancer patients. I mean, all of us are going to die at some point in time. Right. And it's not something I know we want to think about or look at, but... Um, I wish I would have had a lot of this information when I was going through it with my dad. It would have made things so much easier. So even though I know this subject matter is a little difficult, I think at some point in time we all can use it. And I hope everybody takes it that way, that it's meant to help and not for any negative. But again, we're all going to not be here someday, whether it's from pancreatic cancer or something else. So um, I want to thank um, Courtney Sparkle for joining us. Again, she's been here before, and we'd love to have her come back. And what a beautiful name, Courtney Sparkle, <laughs> to talk about end of life. That that, that doesn't even seem uh, a sparkle at that moment here. Right? <laughs> Not quite the, what is it, the oxymoron, I think they might call that. <laughs> <laughs> a confusing uh, a combination. Yeah. Well, thank you, Courtney, for joining us here. And give us some background on Courtney, who Courtney is. Courtney, you want to give us a little background on yourself? Thank you for having me back. I'm a social worker at UCA Medical Center. So I work in our outpatient clinics and I meet a lot of uh, patients during their visits with their surgeons and their oncologists. And I'm there for extra support, help with resource connection. And some of the things, you know, we talk about is preparing, you know, for death and kind of going through this checklist. And as we mentioned, this isn't easy to talk about, but also, you know, there's only one way out of this life for all of us. So Mm -hmm. it's helpful to have the information and uh, knowledge is power and can really mitigate. Since you let me talk for a few more seconds, let me ask one question, then I'll duck out here. Is is death the last taboo topic in America? We can't even say the word death or dying. They passed. We lost them. We try and soften it in every way, shape, or form and avoid the conversation. When my own parents died, Friends wouldn't come to the funeral. Oh, that's barbaric. I can't do it. I can't be there. I can't deal with it. Um, uh, when my late aunt was dying, I raced out to the, um, she was in a hospice facility. And when I showed up, they said, why are you here? I said, because my aunt's dying. Well, we'll take care of it. We'll tell you when it's over. Nobody, I said, doesn't anybody come? Nobody comes. We don't have funerals. We don't be there at end of life. We don't want to think about it. We can't use the word. It seems like the last taboo topic. What do you think? I absolutely agree. It's it's extraordinarily difficult to have that conversation. It's it is kind of kept behind closed doors oftentimes. And so to even broach, you know, a practical checklist is already getting through lots and lots of barriers and emotional baggage and cultural taboo. It can make it a lot dif- more difficult for sure. 
What do you think, Roberta? Is everybody just putting up their, turning, tuning us out right now or putting up their ears and going, la, 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 I don't want to hear about this. I don't want to talk about this. Yeah, I hope not because, like I said, this isn't meant to be not, I mean, this should be an inspirational um, show and that's what we want. But also the realisticness of we're not all going to be here forever. And again, like I said, if I would have had some of this knowledge and I've even had other people tell me, what do we do when that time comes? So hopefully they'll use this as it's intended as a resource and in no way anything negative. I mean, we always have a positive, we're gonna live as long as we can and, you know, but again, we're not here forever. And I think to make things easier for our families when they need to prepare, it's just, I think it's something, again, like I said, if I had this checklist doing for my dad would have been so much easier. My mom was usually a very strong woman, just became a basket case when my dad died. And this would have been very, very helpful. So um, thank you for doing this. And I hope everybody please take this as it's intended as a resource to help you through that time, not as anything negative. So what is the first thing when somebody, when your loved one does die, what is the first thing that we should be doing or think about doing? I think the first thing, you know, I should be doing is really taking a moment to breathe and having this time with yourself and, you know, those who are meaningful for you, loved ones, trusted family and friends. There's a lot to do, you know, when someone close to you passes, um, but it's really important to carve out that time and and really kind of have that time to get things together and focus on yourself first. There's a couple of weeks, give or take, that you have before you really need to get moving. <laughs> so it's helpful to be able to have a little bit of space to kind of let it sink in and start that grieving process. Yeah, it's very difficult. I mean, I've been con called a control um, engineer because I have everything pretty much down as far as what my funeral is going to look like, what I want it done, and all that, all those things. But looking at this checklist that you've developed, I mean, there's a lot of things that still need to be done. Mm -hmm. um, there's the legal um, pronunciation or pronouncement of death. What is that, and how? What is that? That does that something that really needs to be done soon, or or what are we looking at with that? That is something that does need to be done uh, in order to get the death certificate, which you're going to need for all the official notifications. So this is kind of the first official thing that needs to get done is you need to have your loved one pronounced dead, and that looks different depending on where they physically are located. So if they're home, like on hospice. Um, you have that support already in place and you call the number and they'll send out their hospice nurse and be able to you know, do the legal pronouncement. If your loved one's home, but not on hospice, then calling 911, having them transported to the nearest emergency room to get that pronouncement, you know, something that needs to be done. And then if they're in like a care facility, nursing home, hospital, uh, the staff there will do that legal pronouncement. And can I just interrupt one or the quick questions happened to my wife's uh, family? Mm -hmm. They walked in and found them dead. Mm. You know, visiting mom, she's old, go see her every other day, didn't answer, opened the door, she's died. Mm -hmm. What do you do at that point in time? I have to get over the shock. You have to call the police. My, my sister-in-law didn't know. To, who, who do I call? Yeah, are you saying they were in uh, like a care facility or they were home? They were, they were at home. So we're, yeah. she was just at home and she walked in. You know, she knew her mother was ill. She knew she was old and wasn't complete shock. But, yes, it's a shock when mom didn't answer the door. She uses her key, goes in, and mom's dead in uh, in her bed. And so she called my wife and said, what do I do? Yeah. Yeah. 
You can call you know, emergency services 911 and say, you know, describe what happened. Have EMTs come transport them to the emergency room and then do the official, you know, pronouncement of death. It's difficult to imagine yourself doing that and kind of have it together at that point of just acute shock, right? And that's why there's such a benefit to talking about these things before we really need them. So you kind of have that seed planted and think, okay, <laughs> I know what I'm supposed to do. And hopefully I know you'll recall it at the time instead of trying to figure out all of this from scratch in such a moment of, of shock and stress. I agree. I'll let Roberta <laughs> jump back in. I, I just, I, I had to, I mean, imagine my wife getting a phone call, you, you know, mom is gone. I walked in and so they're crying and they're upset. And then they're like, what do we do? I'm just here alone with mom. And who do I, I don't know, do I call the fire department? Do I call the police? Do I call a doctor? What do I, she didn't even know what to do. Yeah. Do you call but reaching f- out is, you know, a good thing to do. If you don't know, knowing who you can reach out to and help in that moment, you know, if you don't take the most direct path, you know, right away, that's okay. You know, you eventually get to the answer you need. But knowing what needs to get done legally, you know, as you mentioned, talking about it now, hopefully we'll, you know, give you that, not comfort per se, but you know that you have the answer and what you need to do when the time comes. Yeah, at least know where you need to go, especially because I've had people to say that they've walked in and found somebody, you know, that have died and they didn't know what to do. And I know one thing they've always, I've always been told is don't touch anything, just call, you know, 911 and let them come in and determine and make sure everything, what's happened and take them in for for that important um, pronouncement. So, which I think would be very, very difficult, but um, then when this happens, how do you tell your family and friends and when should that be done? Absolutely. That can look different case by case. You know, at first you want to tell those who need to know, the people who are closest to you, and then determining how to tell everybody else, how to tell their their friends, extended family, um, that can be quite overwhelming. So this can be a good time to really involve of the close inner circle of the close family and friends to kind of designate people to let the broader circles know, um, consider making like a social media post, you know, something of that nature. So you're not having to individually field all of these phone calls and then having to go through the whole story again can kind of re-traumatize you um, and just not be good for your mental health to be having to go through it over and over again. I know there's probably no best way to tell somebody that, you know, somebody's died, but are there any recommendations or anything that you can think of that could make it easier for that person who's having to deliver the news? Like how to frame the conversation? Yes, yes, exactly. I think, you know, being able to be upfront (laughs) with it, um, but first some kind of script, you know, that may be able to help just so you kind of have the words to hang on to is, uh, you know, something happened, I have some news for you, like are you in you know, a place where I can, you know, have a serious conversation with you. You don't necessarily want to be talking with them when they're driving or they're busy with other things. And if they say, you know, go for it, or can we talk later, uh, then you can, you know, have the conversation then. And, you know, it's hard to get the words out, but saying so-and-so, you know, died this morning, you know, this is what I know. Um, There's probably gonna be some questions, of course, you know, from that person about what next steps are. And so being able to 
voice where you are just emotionally and saying, I'm really overwhelmed and there's a lot of decisions to be making. So maybe we can touch base next week. Or if it's someone who you're really close to and have that trust with, that can be a time to you know, say, can I count on you? I think I'm going to need some help in the coming days and uh, be able to keep that you know, open. And I think, too, we have to consider the age of who you're speaking with. I know when I had to tell my nephew that his dad had died, I didn't use that word. I used your dad had a heart attack and we lost him. Mm -hmm. And he looked at me like, what do you mean we lost him? I didn't mm -hmm. understand. And, you know, how do you tell a child or a young person that, you know, like yeah. I said, we, we don't tend to use the word death and die. We try to do we lost them, you know, exactly. they're not yeah. exactly lost. So what, what is, you know, what right. your suggestion with that? It's difficult with children or using the actual word that somebody has died um, can be easier to understand with children. So when we skirt around it and we'll say they've passed on or we've lost them or they're in a better place, all of these things we use um, to kind of skirt around, you know, the topic of death is really tough for kids to understand. You know, they don't really take in ambiguity very well. They're very concrete. And so being able to tell them in very open, real, concrete terms can make it easier for them to really understand what's going on so they can start the grieving process rather than just being confused. Yeah. So don't be afraid to use the word dead or, or die. Afraid. Yeah, death. I know yeah. if you told me a better place, I would be thinking of oh, going to Disneyland or something. Right, so, exactly. You know, exactly. So, and yeah. it can bring up a whole slew of <laughs> other complications. <laughs> I'd say don't be afraid. You know, even if you don't use the word death uh, with a child, if they understand what you're talking about, even if you say pass on, in their minds, they're using the word dead. You know, it's already there. It's already happened. And the language that we use doesn't change that. Okay, thank you. You said consider using social media as well. Um, what, like, how would you phrase that? Or w would that be like more for people that weren't, of course, close in relation or? I would definitely reserve that for the more extended circles of family and friends, not uh, the immediate <laughs> family and friends. It's a way to, you know, avoid having the conversation face to face or even over the phone. But it invites a lot of, you know, other issues and hurt feelings and guilt, um, telling people who are really close to someone, you know, that their loved one has passed. Um, so I would reserve that for, you know, later on, maybe when you've decided to have a funeral and you are, um, if you want to invite, you know, a lot of people, um, but you may not personally have a relationship with that person, but you knew they had a relationship mm -hmm. with your loved one, it would be more appropriate to consider a social media, you know, announcement or getting that involved. Yeah, I've seen a lot of people using it that way. And now when we, especially when we had the issue with COVID, even doing, you know, the virtual uh, services, which was kind of interesting. Um, it is, yeah. It gives you some more options um, in terms of who's going to be included and not. And it also can be a more passive way if, um, you know, we mentioned people avoiding funerals at the beginning of this podcast. That can be a way for them to still feel like they're a part of it, but they're not physically there and they may feel a little more emotionally safe. If you have a Zoom, you know, compatibility for the for the funeral or the service that someone might be more comfortable. Now you're going to make me jump in again here. <laughs> I can't imagine. I, I I get what you're saying because there are people who really don't want to go to funerals, so maybe they, it's a way they could participate. But I'm Catholic. I mean, would you just videotape the mass? 
would you show a, the casket and somebody in the casket or any of that kind of stuff? I mean, what would you do? Or is it just simply afterwards the kind of um, celebration of life where everybody speaks and says something and a, somebody sings and says a prayer and it's kind of over? That's kind of what yeah. I would envision. You know, this is still fairly new, this use of Zoom and this virtual attendance. So I don't think there's necessarily one way to do it. I think it's going to look a little bit different for everybody short of someone walking around with a camera and zooming in on people's faces. Yeah, right, exactly. Um, and let's yeah, get a close-up of someone so crying, and then let's cut to the casket. And you know, Yeah, you know. no, would not recommend. But, you know, having having the camera, you know, kind of on a tripod, you know, toward the back so you still get the whole scene. Or some people may not feel comfortable with that and would want to reserve that um, option for someone to join via Zoom you know, for the, the wake thereafter. It, there's no right or wrong way to do it, um, but these are all really great things to be considering during the planning process and, you know, talking about with the trusted family and friends and seeing what's right for you. Yeah, who would have thought we would be discussing doing Zoom or Facebook funeral, but I have actually gone to one or two, um, and they were actually very tastefully done. I was really impressed. Um, so what did you see, just to give yeah, me a picture? Yeah, they had the camera was, like she was saying, was set up in the very back on a tripod, mm -hmm. and it was aimed at the front, but you saw the casket, but you didn't see the person inside, but the priest was up there and delivered his um, you know, eulogy, and people came up and spoke, and... Um, it was actually very, very emotional, even considering the way they were doing it. So it gave those of us a chance because it was in for one another state that would have loved to have gone but couldn't for reasons, you know, either you can't, you can't fly or because of the COVID situation going on. It gave us still an opportunity to be there and pay our respects. And then some went later on to the celebration of life um, afterwards. So, um, but they did it very tastefully. I was really impressed on how it was done. But that is something that's very interesting to put into, like you say, your plan for when you when you when you die. That you, what you want your family to do and what you would consider. Years ago, I would have thought of taking a camera yeah. into a, a service. I mean, just was not looked at. So I'm sorry I'm in it now, but let me ask you one more question here. <laughs> um, my father was a real planner, and before he died, he died in his 90s. We'd have these conversations. He'd want to have these conversations. And here's what I want you to do at my funeral. And I'd say, Dad, I don't want to talk about it. I don't want to hear about your funeral. No, I want this to be a certain way. I want the whole Catholic ceremony and everything else here. And when he did die, suddenly, after all those years, I was grateful that he had it all planned out. I just followed his plan. That was my way to honor his wishes and to be a good son. And I followed it to a T down yeah. to the point where he insisted on that I have the good booze and not the cheap booze at the uh, after party here. <laughs> Don't go cheap and, and display it and show everybody we got the top shelf stuff here because he was a top shelf guy. Yeah. And uh, so, you know, I, and I told people that laughed at me, we laugh about that. But he had it all thought out. I don't have anything thought out. <laughs> That's the last thing I want to think about. It is, but again, like I said, I've, I've done a lot of planning on my own. I've told my boys and they don't want to hear it either. Right. But, you know, there's certain things I want done and I want, though, I mean, I'm not raised a Catholic, but, you know, we do practice. I do want the rosary, but at the same time, 
I want everybody doing the shots of tequila. I'm sorry. I want the <laughs> yeah. party after. I have already picked out my music that's going to play. And yeah. it's all it. uplifting. None of it is really sad. You know, like so. my dad. He had the party plan. Party was the most important thing. <laughs> exactly. I'm going to be looking down joining. So, you know, it's just uh, something that we don't want to talk about. But like I said before, if I would have known what my dad wanted, it would have been so much easier yes. than to try to guess. Yes. You know, and then to that's try funny. to... Yeah, it was just so hard. And I just hope that we did what he wanted because we never talked about and it. And when you know? my wife's mother died, I mentioned at the beginning, they walked in. Mm-hmm. She, of course, had never talked and thought about any of this stuff, nor had they ever thought about it, even though she was older and it wasn't like she was young and was totally surprised. She was mm-hmm. ill. It wasn't, un- it wasn't, it was a shock, but it wasn't unexpected, if that makes sense. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And they ended up fighting the three girls mm-hmm. all the time. Well, you got to do it this way. Well, mom would have wanted this. Well, no, she hated that. Well, she liked this song. Well, she, don't put that dress on her and this and her. Everything was a fight because everybody, nobody knew what mom wanted. Everybody was guessing. And I thought, how horrible. And unfortunately, that's a reality for so many families, you know, going through this process when it's not really planned in advance. You know, you have grief and shock and then you have the unknown and confusion and then you already have the family dynamics that are kind of set and it's kind of this perfect storm you know for all of these you know arguments or disagreements you know to crop up and it adds so much more stress to this process that's already really overwhelming and difficult and you know getting into just the title uh you know of this podcast living hope Hope is something that I come back to quite a lot um, in in my work. And there comes a time when we kind of shift the conversation. Typically, you know, you're hoping for, you know, hoping to get better, hoping for Mm -hmm. a cure, hoping to be, you know, in remission. Sometimes we have to pivot how we're looking at things and, and hope for something different. Still have hope, but then start to kind of realize that the hope you have is to make this transition easier on family, hope to have quality of life, you know, and time spent with loved ones at the end and hope to have, helping to bring your family together and not causing kind of more stress and and anxiety, you know, during such a a special and difficult time. And it's very true because I can remember, like you say, praying and hoping that my dad would get better. And then a time came when I hope and prayed my dad no longer suffered. So you make that big change and it's Mm -hmm. difficult, but you get to that point where you see we don't want to give up hope. But there does come a time when you do realize that no matter what, that there it is going to go a different way. So your your hope suddenly changes to Mm -hmm. you don't want them to suffer anymore. And like you say, to make it easier on the family, Mm -hmm. Um, I was again with my mom it was quite different because she she told us what she wanted you know and so it made it very very easy to know that when you know they came to dressing her she wanted to wear a certain thing and she wanted her house shoes she wanted her favorite house shoes on not regular shoes (laughs) so i know they thought we were crazy when we get handed them a pair of house shoes but um that's what she wanted and we made sure to do as much as we could of what she wanted so it made things so much easier but, um, if Can I ask you one other question? Sure. There's another one that I found shocking. We only got a couple <laughs> minutes left here, but funerals. I'm Catholic, so the assumption is always there's a funeral or a mass. And when it was very slight attended, my mom, my dad, my aunt, and when I asked the priest and asked the funeral home, they said, oh, you're one of the last. Nobody does this anymore. Celebration of life, yes. We'll get together and we'll have a drink and a toast. The actual funeral, burying of the body, final ceremony, Certainly we don't go to the grave and 
lower them into the caskets and all that stuff that we did when I was a kid. Am I alone? Is this whole idea of a funeral going away and all we want is the party? Mm. I don't think you're alone, but I do think that as more time has gone by, there's been more acceptance surrounding this uh, whatever works for you, <laughs> you know, kind of concept. And I think overall it's a really positive one. Um, certainly there are still uh, families and people who want to do things more the traditional way and that has meaning for them and that's beautiful. Um, and for others, it doesn't really resonate with them and that's, that's beautiful too. But it seems like you it seems like we'd get it over too quick. That was my complaint. Uh, somebody dies, I go, I spend 10 minutes, I shed a little tear, and then it's back to work or back to my life. without. And I thought that's all their life amounted to, a, ten, a little brief 10-minute, you know, we pause for a moment and then we go on. Somehow it seemed like the what I find appealing about the tradition is, yes, it may drag on, it may be a while, days or something here, but it sort of forced you to face it, forced you to grieve, and it was a, and, and it was a way to get you to deal with it rather than, they just disappeared. What happened to Joe? Oh, he, he, he's gone. Oh, okay. Well. Yeah. I don't know for us. It's, it's different because we still do the very traditional, right. you know, the, everything the day before usually, and then the rosary, the mass. So it's still, um, very traditional and it's difficult, but again, like you say, it, it brings you to the realization of what's going on. And, yeah. um, so I'm glad <laughs> that's not and the it's good a practical way. through whatever. Yeah, exactly. It's, most yeah. people are just lost. They don't know what to do. I, I've, I've gone to too many of these celebrations of life, and they're awful. And everybody just sits there and says, somebody want to say something? I don't know. Maybe we should play this. Maybe we should do something. And it just leaves because mm. there is no process. There's nobody guiding it. Right. And I think you need a process because you're, you're like a zombie walking mm. through this. You need some guidance mm. at that point in time. I, I think you can make it up on the fly at, at, at a moment like that. Mm. I don't know. I think I, I'm sorry. Go ahead. No, I was just going to say some form of preparation. Yeah, I would really recommend you. You don't want to have that moment where you're kind of sitting on your hands and thinking, how do I honor them right. when it's already the time has come? <laughs> yeah, I think it's I, I know I've had different experience because, you know, we've done, you know, this ce celebration of life, but it's been very moving. And even for people that I didn't know that well. I thought, oh, my God, how much I missed out on knowing them. And I think it's kind of sad in a way that we learn so much about them after they're gone. Why don't why yeah, aren't we celebrating them when they're still here with us? And yeah. so that we know all these wonderful things that they did. It's, I was it's, watching uh, some t t Netflix series and some character dies in the Netflix series. And at the end, and it was everybody's sort of character, sort of an ancillary, everybody laughing at them, kind of goofy Joe or something. And then at the end, it turned out Goofy Joe had, you know, won a, won a silver star and had done all these great things. <laughs> and everybody in the funeral like, why didn't we know this? Why did we just thought this was Goofy Joe? I didn't, nobody ever talk about this. Nobody really knew this person in yeah. their life. Yeah. Well, we tend to know people kind of in pieces, you know, that's Joe from work and that's yeah. Joe, my cousin. And, and it's rare that we know them as a whole person in all the facets of their life unless we were really close to them. Yeah. Uh, I don't know how we're doing. I think we're, we're, we're. I think I've talked too much, and we're closing the end. I'll, I'll give you a couple minutes to wrap up and make some final points here. Yeah. Okay. Um. We do still have a lot of things that we did want to go over. So I know you plan on coming back on April seventh. So maybe we can pick up from there where we left off. But Sounds just great. just to kind of put an into tonight today for now. Is there any suggestions, some wisdom, some hope that you can give people what they can do for now to make these arrangements or plan things? Yeah, well, I think we got off to a you know pretty good start, and I, I wouldn't want the um, kind of the message of being able to 
breathe and reach out to your your family and friends to get lost this can be such an overwhelming <laughs> such an overwhelming process to go to and, and getting organized and, and knowing what to do um so i think we got off to a good start but yes i would be um you know happy to come back on the seventh and <laughs> go through this process a bit more a little bit more of the logistics and will muzzle um, me so I don't bring so many of my stories <laughs> in. But, uh, but I, know, I, I appreciated the conversation. It gives you know a lot to think about. And yeah. these are really great questions to ask yourself and uh, to ask of your family in in planning this. Um, you know, and what what you want and what's meaningful for you, and you know how you want to be honored or how you want your loved one to be honored you know, during and, that time. And I think the purpose of Living Hope is to have a conversation. So we're having the conversation, and you're more than welcome to you know. I don't want to say butt in, but come in anytime you want and ask your question. That's, you know, you might think of, you might think of something I'm not thinking of. So yeah. it's, 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 well, it makes it's, a great conversation. It, it, it gave me great, huh? at a moment I didn't think I could get through, it helped get me through. And, and the fact that my father was well prepared. Yeah. And was so much easier than the other ones I've gone through where it wasn't, where it was needlessly stressful. We were confused. We all felt guilty. We're not honoring. We're not doing it right. We should mm -hmm. be doing it better. And uh, so then that leads to guilt and anger and feelings right. at a time when none of that is, you're already upset. You don't need to add all that layer to it. Yeah, and I think right. this is an important subject and resources, and we didn't want to rush through it. So thank everybody for their patience. But, you know, we will continue the conversation on April 7th. And um, as we always dedicate um, Living Hope episode to somebody affected by pancreatic cancer, uh, today, I want to dedicate it to Greg Willard. Greg was an American professional basketball referee in the NBA, and um, he wore the number 57, and I understand they retired that number. Greg died on April 1st, 2013, at the age of 54 from pancreatic cancer, and he was just a great inspiration to us, to the Orange County affiliate, to PanCan itself and was just a wonderful um, addition to our Purple family and helped us with our Purple Stride planning. And we miss him greatly and just wanted to give a shout out to him and thank him and his wife for um, all that they did and shared him with us for those the time that he had. So thank you. Well, there you have it. Maybe a too honest discussion of the, the challenges and problems that can go with a disease like this that takes so many. But we do it as a sense of hope and to share and have real conversations about what real people are really having. That's the idea behind Living Hope, a weekly journey to provide hope, inspiration, and information for those living with pancreatic cancer all around, sharing the real-life stories of those really affected and how they deal with it on a day-by-day -day basis. If you'd like to share your story, please contact us. And if you or anyone you know needs help, please call 877-2-THE-NUMBER-PAN-CAN. 877-THE-NUMBER-2-P-A-N-C-A-N. For more information and help from the Pancreatic Cancer Action Network. From all of us here at the OC Talk Radio Network, thanks for listening. Hope you'll come back and join us again and hope you'll share it. Give someone a smile. Give someone else hope in your life. Hope you come back. As we stream live from our studios here at the University of California Irvine's Beale Applied Innovation Center.